Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Well, we're going to press on in this study on the book of Jude, and where we're at right now, just trying to get my clicker to work. What is going on here? Give me a second, because this could be a very long day if I can't get this guy to work. Uh, Can you give me a little jump on the back? Can we put the cables on there? Let's see what happens. All right. Uh, If I can get Dan maybe to swap out the batteries on this bad boy. But just stay there. We're going to be okay. Thanks, Dan. Right now, we are in verse 11. The writer has brought three names to the table. And he's very specific. These are really perfect illustrations of what he's looking to do. I don't know how to use it. All right. Perfect illustrations of what it looks like to be a man to turn the grace of God into lewdness. Of what it looks like to pervert and insult the spirit of grace. To take the grace of God in vain. To be a dreamer. And so... He brings these men to the table, all of which, this is the most terrifying part of it. All these men knew the Lord. They all had an experience with God, a real experience. Well, thus far, we've covered two of the three. Get me back. There we go. Two of the three men we've looked at is Cain, and we've we talked about the rebellion of Korah. But now we're going to get into the last one mentioned here, and that is the heir of Balaam. And I'm going to say this before we really get going. It's going to be like that today. I'm just going to tell you. Um, The more we dig into this, the more frightening this story becomes. This is a story I'm going to tell you needs to be told today. It needs to be told now. The relevance of this story for the church is terrifying. And so as we go through this, I'm going to ask you, please listen to this carefully. Listen to this message. And this, unfortunately, is going to take a couple weeks. But this is so relevant. You know, this is one of those moments that I can tell you, if this hits its mark, it'll change people's lives. Can't make this stuff up. Go ahead, answer it. You can tell this is going to be a good one. So, you know, let me say one more thing. (laughs) Or not. Is this unreal? This is, you know, this this is the kind of stuff you pray against before you get up here. Uh, Let me preface today's message that... Uh, I, you know, I didn't plan to do this on the day of the commentary. I didn't. This is unbelievable. Who is calling? Oh, okay. So today, I, I find it a little bit interesting outside of the total chaos that has ensued just within two minutes here, that... You know, my wife will tell you I can't plan a trip out the front door. And so I, I was not intentional about making this land on, on today's Torah portion in any way. But it fascinates me that, you know, Scripture tells us that on the testimony of two, all things are established. And here, Eric gives this phenomenal commentary on, on the Torah portion, and then the Lord lines it up just for this. And so he's got my attention uh, in regard to that. I was blown away. I just found this out last week. I didn't even know that it was going to happen like this. So that's just kind of a cool thing. Um, But with that said, let's break into this, and let's talk about this. Going to the book of Numbers in chapter 22, this is where the story begins. And what you have is, as Eric mentioned in his commentary, you have the children of Israel coming and filling the plains of Moab. They're coming in. Now, I want you to appreciate the, histor- the, the, the historical context. I want you to understand what Balak saw when Israel was coming in, and I want you to understand what he thought. Because this is, this is central to how we proceed in the story. 
So Balak sees Israel coming in. Now keep in mind, you know, scholars estimate it was anywhere from 1.2, 1.4, 1.5 million to over 2, 2.2 million children of Israel coming in. Think about those numbers. Unbelievable, they just covered the land. I wonder how much land you could even see as Israel's making its way in. Now here's the other thing. As Israel's coming in, they're not coming in like a bunch of reckless vagabonds that are confused and lost. What Balak sees is Israel's army. He sees the glory of Israel coming in. They are organized. God had split Israel into four companies. They had 12 tribes, but three tribes per company. He split them into companies, and when Israel moved, they did so militarily. They did so organized. Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun would be the first to pack up and go, and they would lead Israel out to the next place, or in this case, then to the plains of Moab. Next, you had the, uh, Reuben, Simeon, and Gad. That company, the second company, would follow them. And this gets so awesome. And then the Ark of the Covenant with the Levites. That's when they come in and follow those two companies, and then to be followed by Benjamin, Ephraim, Manasseh, the third company, and then the fourth company would have been Dan, Asher, Naphtali. They moved in a very organized fashion, in what we would call a military fashion. So he is seeing the glory of Israel come in to his land. An awesome sight. No question about it. More than that, here's what he's thinking. Israel is just coming off a victory of wiping out the Amorites. Why is that important? Go back to the previous chapter in chapter 21 and you'll find out why that's important. The Amorites already laid waste to Moab long before. Moab could not resist the Amorites. They couldn't hold them off. And now you have Israel coming and destroying an enemy you could not hold off. And now they're coming for you. This is the context of what he's seen. And he is so terrified. He is so terrified in heart. And he knows how real this is, that he is looking at an impossible situation. Yes, in Balak's mind, listen to me carefully, he cannot win the war. They are, Israel is invincible. This is mission impossible. So Balak does the one thing that he believes is going to work, his only hope. And what is that? He wants to delve into the spirit realm. He wants to call upon demonic powers. Because he knows in the physical realm, what he's dealing with cannot be dealt with. It's interesting. I want to point out something curiously absent from the text as we, as we look at the story. What you will realize, and it's important what's not there. What you will realize is that Balak does not call any other kingdom or nation or people to come and help him against Israel. Now, i got to tell you, read the Bible. Just begin in the Torah and proceed through the rest of the Tanakh. And what you'll see over and over and over and over again is every time war erupts, a kingdom that is outmatched and outgunned, what do they do? They go get help from any other nation. You come and help me. I'll pay you handsomely. Just come to me, please. He doesn't do this. He doesn't call any other nation. That tells you something, that he doesn't do that. He doesn't do it because he doesn't believe it's going to work. Do you understand the context of what Balak believes he's seen? I can't win this, so I have to go to demonic powers. And there's only one man on the face of the planet that he's going to call. He's a a world-renowned sorcerer, and that is Balaam, the son of Beor. Now, you want to put this further into context. You can guarantee during his time, during Balak's reign, that he had countless sorcerers within an arm's length of him. That he could have gone out. All the magicians and all of this, he could have gone and grabbed one of them. What's he do? He goes for Balaam, who scholars estimate was over 420 miles away. We're talking 22 to 25 day journey. One way. Literally, you know, at that point, it's, it's going to the end of the earth, if you will. This is the guy he wants. Balaam is world renowned. This guy had channeled Dark powers like no one else on the planet. He's a man of great power. And so Balak sends his messengers to Balaam. And this is where we pick it up. 
uh, verse 6. Therefore, please come at once and curse the people for me, for they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. Now listen, for I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you cursed is cursed. If you had any question in regard to Balaam's power and his reputation as a true sorcerer, let it be laid to rest now. He already knows. There, he has evidence. I mean, the way this is written, he knows. He already has examples of, I've seen the people you've blessed. Everyone you blessed, they're blessed, and everyone you cursed, they're gone. There's nothing left. This is a guy of unreal power. Now, I'm going to put this into context for you before we get it further into this message. Because you're going to need to have some perspective. And the way I want to do this is I want to play a couple clips for you of some witches and warlocks that have abandoned witchcraft and they found Jesus. They found a greater power. Every one of their testimonies, there is a common thread. I want you to find it. They're saying something the same. It doesn't matter what testimony we go to. You need to acquire that. And there is a second thing that we're going to extract from this, which is even bigger, which is central. It's central to everything we talk about today for you to appreciate this story. And so what I'm going to do is we're going to push in to this clip. I'm going to want you guys to watch this. Pay close attention. One of these days, when I'm old enough, no matter what it takes, pregnancy or what, I'm getting out of here. And I'm going to find two things. I'm going to find power and I'm going to find love. You see, my mom was into spiritualism and she used to go to a place called Lilydale in Jamestown, New York. It was a self-contained spiritualist camp. And she would go there and hear all these past, present, and future things, tea leaves and cards. Mm -hmm. And she'd come home with miraculous stories, actually, of these things that were going to happen in our home. And said they'd happen. And I would go to church on Sunday, and I'd be sitting on this pew looking up at this dead man on a cross. And I'd say, where are you? Who are you? And I would think, he's dead. He's a big plaster depiction of a man who's dead. Why? Why would you think that? Because... I always thought, where are you when my brother's molesting you, me? Where am, are you when my mommy's slapping me? Where are you when my father's beating me for nothing? Where are you when we're hungry? Where are you when there is no milk in the house and there is no cereal? No one explained anything to me, so I left it at, he's dead, and I'm going to find power. So my mother coming home with spiritualist stories intrigued me. And I would think, that's where the power is. They know things that nobody else knows, so that's where the power is. So I became very, very studious about astrology, witchcraft, card reading, and that card reading became my niche. Sid, I would walk into a room with a deck of cards and read everybody's mail. I thought that I had come into this great power that I had been looking for. The trouble is, when you play with the devil, he doesn't play fair. He'll give you everything you want, all the drugs you want, all the women you want, all the promises, and all the power you want. And when he's done with you, he'll kick the legs out from under you. And so here I was with these spirits operating in this park, cursing people. I cursed one man's city, fell three stories into a wheelbarrow. Thank God that wheelbarrow was there because he would have been killed. I was astro projecting. I was studying all this witchcraft. I thought everything was wonderful. The same spirits, as you said in the opening, that gave me power began to turn on me and totally suicidal. And then one day, standing in a bar, standing in a bar, serving drinks, stealing from the place, everything they had, stealing and lying and getting high in the bathroom, a young woman approached me named Linda Smith. And you know what, Sid? She really believed in the power of God. She knew I'd experienced the power of darkness, that I knew it was out there, that it worked. But she wanted me to see a higher power, a greater power, that superseded the power that I was operating in. He got me involved in the psychic world. And uh, I didn't realize I was tying in with the devil when I was involved in astrology and in uh, mind control activities. How did you ever get involved with that? I was looking for power. Uh, I found a power there. I found that astrology isn't fake. It works. The brilliant mind. You, you, have, you have a mind that works very quickly. It, it is, uh, you like to explore the unknown. I, I was looking for power and I found sure. it. Let me tell you about some of the things that I was able to do, and I'm not saying that I'm bragging, I'm trying to explain it to you. Uh, I was able to open up a dictionary and ask myself a specific question. 
and just turn at random and point to a word, and I'd have an exact answer to my question. I was able to close my eyes, and you, someone would give me the name of someone I'd never heard of before, and I could describe them and tell you what was wrong with them physically. And I thought that this power was really tremendous. I began to be able to impose my will on people. And then all of a sudden, within me, a feeling said, where is the power coming from? And I went to the instructor that taught me the course, and I said, where's the power coming from? And he didn't know. So he sent me to the instructor for the whole East Coast for this particular course. And I asked him the same question, and he wasn't able to answer my question. And I remember at the time I had met a lot of born-again Christians, and they started telling me about Deuteronomy 18, in which the Lord Jesus Christ forbids having anything to do with this sort of activity. And I asked him about it at the time, and he said to me, said, the only evil is in your mind. That's the only hang-up. There's no such thing as the devil. And I walked away from that man not being completely satisfied because although he told me what it wasn't, he didn't tell me what it was. He didn't tell me who I was tied into. I would go to Dimitri from 7 in the evening to 5 in the morning, being trained by witches and warlocks, colors, principal <clears throat> rights, who owns this region, who's in this region, who's running this principality, what principality name is this, I, 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 how to channel powers. At the age of 13 years old, I was astral projecting my body. I would leave my body home and go to regions and go into the spirit and curse dark side, curse neighborhoods, curse put spirit of prostitution, spirit of drugs into the neighborhood, homosexual spirits here, demonic spirit here, spirit of murder, spirit of suicide. I know how to channel all those spirits into the neighborhood. At the age of 15, 16 years old, I was going into hospitals and putting death in ICU, death in one room so this person can die because I wanted to be promoted with the devil to mow up that ranks to be the biggest devil worshiper in New York City. The ring of, 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 of the people that I was with that was in this demonic world, doctors, lawyers, uh, principals, judges, police officers, they were all into witchcraft. There was all, even singers today that are very well known. I put them, I, I would move principalities on that region to control uh, demons on the ground to operate, to, church, to cut down the church, to cut down the, the, the growth of the church, to cut down the, 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 the opportunity for people to get saved. If I tell you I was going to kill you in 30 days, you prepare your funeral, you was going to die in 30 days. If, if you, I don't care who you were, I don't care who you knew, I don't care what you, you call yourself, if you were Catholic and you say you were Christian and you say you were a believer, I was going to kill you unless you had a real relationship with Jesus Christ. And I was the third person that received that book and I would take symbols from that book and do witchcraft to people and put people in, 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 in make people lose their mind. I put witchcraft on people, make people get diseases out of nowhere. I put witchcraft on people, make people get leprosy. I put witchcraft on people, make people get cancer. I mean, I did witchcraft to people. I gave people miscarriages. I gave people abortions. I gave people. I put people in hospital for for, non, for surgeries that didn't even have to go surgeries. I did witchcraft so people can lose their minds. I, I put spirits of, of, of bipolar, schizophrenia. I put spirits of of, of of disease on people. I put suicide spirits on people. I'd be up all night long, praying and talking to the devil. When Christians can't even go to church for one year, for one hour. When Christians can't even pray for one hour, the spirit realm is, so, is more real than the natural realm. And, and we fail to see that. And whatever is not covered with Jesus Christ is an easy target to bring down. A lot of things were said in that. The last thing that was said is really important. The spiritual realm is more real than the natural realm. Balak believed it. Balak believed that. This is why he's going to Balaam. There's one thing that you saw continuously, a common thread through every one of those tests, and there's many, many others I could show you. They're all saying the same thing. They got into it because they wanted power, and every single one of them found it. They wielded this power. It's not greater than the power of Yeshua. This is not about exalting witchcraft. This is about understanding this story. And this is about understanding that these powers exist. And as John Ramirez says, man, I'm going to tell you right now, you don't have a real relationship with Yeshua. You are open season. It is going to be open season on you. They will have authority and the ability to move. The spirits are moving and they're being moved. This is real. And so that's the first thing I want to tell you. I'm going to hold off on the second thing, which is even much larger than that. Now, we're going to continue on in our story. 
and verse 7. And this is what we read. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the diviner's fee in their hand. This is going to prove to be pretty central to the entire story. We're not going to get too much into that, but they got a diviner's fee into the hand and they came to Balaam and spoke to him the words of Balak, verse 8. And Balaam said to them, lodge here tonight, I will bring back word to you, wait, as the Lord speaks to me. So the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam. As the Lord, notice all the caps. Let's look at this in the Hebrew. Yet to bear Yahweh a lie. This is a pagan warlock, witch, sorcerer, and he is now calling on the one true name of the God of Israel. In fact, Yahweh, this, this tetragrammaton right there is explicit and exclusive to the God of Israel. Not to begin, like we could talk about the term El, it, it translated into other gods. We could talk about Elohim, but not Yahweh, not the sacred tetragrammaton. It's never confused or mixed up with any other god. That's the first thing you need to realize. What in the world is a pagan sorcerer, which, and let me, let me say this, we know for a fact Balaam is a pagan sorcerer, not from just scripture. No, 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 no. We know this from secular text. The dear Allah text that was found talks of Balaam, the son of Beor, a man who communicated with all sorts of God, who literally was receiving messages from Ishtar and Shigar and all these other gods that were named Shaddai, not to be confused with El Shaddai. We know he's a pagan sorcerer. And these men, Balak is sending to him because of who he is, he needs to tap into this realm. And now this guy has taken the sacred name of God upon his lips and in a context of seeking him. Seeking him. Going to him to seek his counsel. You want to talk about mind blowing? How do you wrap your mind around that? I, I love this passage because you know, many people see this as an enigma. You know, kind of wrapped in a conundrum, hidden in a mystery. They don't know what to do with this. They have no clue what to do with this. And there's a lot of all interesting hypotheses out there about this. But I'm going to tell you this, and I'm glad you're sitting down. And you're going to understand why I showed you all these testimonies. Because the further we get into this story, what you're going to realize, Balaam had a revelation. Now, we're not given that experience of when that happened, but we know for a fact this guy had a revelation similar to that of John Ramirez, Carol Karnacki, Sid Roth. All servants of the devil, worshiping the devil, practicing witchcraft. And now here we see Balaam has a similar. And as we continue, you're going to see just how real what I'm telling you is. Well, check this out. We move on. And we go to verse, where are we at? Verse 9. Okay, maybe I could follow along. Then God came to Balaam and said, who are these men with you? Now look at this. So Balaam said to God, Balak the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent me to you. I highlighted this to help you out. God came to who? Balaam. What's the next thing you read? Balaam said to God. I don't care how you want to try to attempt to understand this or redefine it. Very simply, it's, there's a line of communication open up here between Balaam and God. That cannot be debated. This is huge. And, and, and this is what every Christian wants. Everyone that comes into faith, the faith of Yeshua, you want an open communication line to God. We're told in Scripture, sin separates us. We no longer can communicate. He doesn't respond to sinners. And yet here we're seeing something so bizarre built upon what we just read. That now he is seeking God. Clearly he has found him and God is communicating to him. Now look at this, verse 11, it gets crazier. Look, a people has come out of Egypt and they cover the face of the earth. Come now, curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to overpower them and drive them out. And so Balaam is talking with the Lord. yod vav He's having this communication. He tells him exactly what Balak wants. This is what the messengers have said. I'm relaying it to you. He's telling the Lord the truth, unlike Cain. Verse 12. And God said to Balaam, you shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people for they are blessed. Mind-blowing. 
pivotal, one of the, one of the main pivotal moments in this story, beginning to really reveal what is going on. Now, the Lord coming in and instructing Balaam this, do, do you think for a moment that God's really concerned about the power of Balaam versus the promise that he's made to his children? Are you really thinking, oh, well, Balaam, don't go curse them, please. You know, because, you know if you do, I, I can't hold you back. I, what, what am I going to do? You see how ridiculous that notion is? Do, do you, I, I bring that up because that's not what's going on here. Why is God coming to him and telling him, don't go curse them? Listen to me. The same thing God showed Cain is the exact same thing that is being poured out on Balaam. Grace. See, there's a little prophecy slash promise. A promise back in Genesis 12 that says, whomever you bless, whoever blesses you, Abraham, is going to be blessed. Whoever curses you will be cursed. What does God know? If Balaam takes this journey to go curse Israel, what's going to happen to Balaam? It's cursed. God is pouring out his grace. You know, if God was looking to take care of Balaam right now, this one who is seeking his counsel, by the way, if he was looking to take him out, well, then he'd say, oh, you, you, you know, Balak's calling you to, to come curse my children? Well, have a, have a nice journey. Go ahead. Knock yourself out. If, if God's intent is to take him out, now I'm going to tell you, you can go through scripture and you can see how God marvelously works to bring judgment on the wicked. A perfect example is to bring judgment on Babylon. Who came in and destroyed Israel. Yes, the Lord wanted to punish his people, but by bringing them in, he set them up. You touched my people. You went against my holy and Now I'm going to take you out. See, God could have done this. He doesn't do this. Grace is being poured out. He is protecting Balaam. There's no way to debate this. This is what is happening because God is not in fear of Balaam. Nor, and, and, and let me say this, just to build on this. Go to the very next chapter, and we'll get there probably next week. But in chapter 23, you know what it says? There is no sorcery against Jacob. I don't care all the sorcery that Balaam's got, all the power he channels, it's going to do nothing against the promise of God against his people. Nothing. And so we're confronted with something amazing here. All right? Now we continue. Verse 13. So Balaam rose in the morning and said to the princes of Balak, Go back to your land. Oh, for the Lord has refused to give me permission to go with you. Who is Balaam submitting to? His own will? See, you don't even get this. You don't get any of this with Cain. You don't get this at all. Here, Balaam, full submission. See, the things that I would expect to see in the gospel, the elements that need to be there, they're already starting to unfold here. Of him confessing, of him trusting, of him going to, to seek counsel to, oh, and submitting. God hasn't given me provision. He doesn't say Baal. All the other gods that we know for a fact that Balaam was aware existed and had operated with working with demons. He knew of all of them. He doesn't call in any of them. He doesn't say, well, you know, I got to get the permission of Yahweh, and then I got to go get the permission of Molech. You don't find that. It's interesting. In this narrative, there's only one God mentioned, and that's the one true God. Absolutely amazing. Moving to verse 14. And the prince of Moab rose and went with Balak and said, Balaam refuses to come with us. Again, why? Because God said so. He's yielding. Then Balak again sent princes, more numerous and more honorable than they. Balak is upping his game. Now, pay attention to the details because the devil is in them. The, devil's not, the devil is working through Balak. He's guiding Balak right now, and the devil's not going away. This is because you turned down my offer, I'm going to come at you another way. Now, make no mistake, you got you to draw from this, you know. When you resist the devil, we're told in the book of James, he will flee from you, but if you think he's not coming back, you're delusional. And most of you have lived life long enough to know how many times the devil circled back on you. Every time. Every time. He will make, he will circle back, and he will up his game, and he's going to wait. He's going to hit you when you're most vulnerable, when you're at your weakest, because he's evil. He doesn't care about you. He's not going to show you mercy. 
Move on to verse 16. This is what we read. And they came to Balaam and said to him, Thus says Balak the son of Zippor, Please let nothing hinder you from coming to me. Now this is where it gets good. For I will certainly honor you greatly, and I will do whatever you say to me. Unbelievable. He is coming to bless him in a way that Balaam has never been blessed before. You want honor? You want admiration? You want the admiration of people? You want to be glorified? Which is, you know, a narcissist's dream. You want all of this? I'll give it to you. But not just that. Look at this. In addition to that, I will give whatever you say to me. He's literally, Balak is giving him a blank check. Whatever your heart's desire, I will give it to you. You know, I'm reminded of when Yeshua went out into the wilderness, driven out by the Holy Spirit, to be tempted by the devil. Tempted by the devil. He goes through, you know, he's been, he had fasted for 40 days. You know what, if you're the son of God, please, by all means, you know, turn these stones into bread. Yeshua doesn't, he doesn't fall for it. He brings them into the temple, the high pinnacle, throw yourself off of, you know, his angels will save you. But the last one's really fascinating. He takes him to the high mountain. And on that high mountain, he actually shows him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory in a moment. And he said, all of this I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. Now I want you to understand, this is exactly what Balak is offering Balaam. I will give you glory. I will give you honor. I will give you whatever you wish. The sky is the limit. In a sense, this is the very thing he is offering. How does Balaam respond? Well, we go to verse 18. Then Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, though Balak were to give me his house. And that's important. You stop right there. His own residence would have been the creme de la creme, the most coveted, the most sought after, the most honored place in the land. And so Balak's very care, Balaam's careful in his wording. Even though he would give me his house and you would have filled that house with silver and gold, I could not go beyond the word of the Lord my God. He says, P, Yahweh, Elohai. You get, and I show you in the Hebrew because it's, it's not the, the word of Molech, my God, or Baal. It's the sacred tetragrammaton. No other God is joining him. There's only one God mentioned, and he says he's my God. Dude, what we are looking at is, is a real situation that Balak had, a real revelation of who Yahweh, the king of Israel, is. And we have so many testimonies that we can look at over the years of witches and warlocks coming into faith, even after dabbling in that great power, once they come into the knowledge of the God of Israel, once they come into the knowledge of Jesus, Yeshua, they're hooked. And they start professing what? My Lord and my God, like Doubting Thomas, says to Yeshua, my Lord and my God. And notice he says, you're not going to move me. I will not go beyond the word of my God. I mean, this is commitment. Again, everything that I expect to see in the gospel, it's embedded right here. Verse 19. Now, therefore, please, you also stay here tonight that I may know what more the Lord will say to me. He doesn't now move and I got to go seek the counsel of another. No, I'm going to seek the counsel of Yodhevavhe, of Yahweh. Verse 20. And God came to Balaam at night. Again, there is clearly a clear line of communication between the Lord and Balaam. Unlike Saul, who Saul tried to petition the Lord, and guess what? What did the Lord not do? He wouldn't answer him. Neither by the prophets nor the Urim, the Tumim. But here, Balaam is talking to the Lord. And God came to Balaam at night and said to him, and, and you know, the fact that he came to him at night, what is, this, what is this telling you that he's coming to him in dreams and visions at night? You know, that's one of the things when you read Numbers chapter 12, is that if there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make himself known, make myself known to him in dreams and in visions. So now we're starting to see the prophetic status happen. I mean, that's what prophets are, right? Prophets are people that God talks to. So God came to Balaam at night and said to him, if these men come to call you, rise and go with them, but only the word which I speak to you, that you shall do. 
Again, this is the second, probably one of the most pivotal moments in the entire story. The details, pay attention to the details. There are two things that are commanded here. Let's look at the first. If, preposition, don't forget it. If the men come and call you, then rise and go with them. That's the first thing that's said. Then we jump down. Here's the second thing. Now pay attention. But only the word which I speak to you, that you shall do. You know what's interesting? (laughs) This is so huge. Only the word that I speak to you, what you would expect what you would expect. And the first time I read, I'm going to tell you, the first time I read this, I w- I was ex- what I was expecting to hear next is that whatever I speak to you, that makes sure you speak to them. That's not what's said. Although, you, you, listen to me carefully, he is going to say that later on. He's going to tell them, whatever I speak to you, speak to them. He doesn't say that in this text. What's he say? That you shall do. You come into the gospel, you come into the faith of Jesus, Yeshua. And here's what happens. You're now presented with a whole new lifestyle, a new way to live. And you're told things like, the, like James tells you. Not the hearers of the law are just in the sight, or Paul in Romans 2.13. Not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but only the doers of the law will be justified. And James says, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. The word. So we're talking about the word coming from God, and he's being commissioned to actually do it. Think of Hebrews 5.29, that Yeshua becomes the author of eternal salvation to all those who do his commandments, that obey him. Okay, and you think of Psalm 111, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. I mean, it's a reoccurring theme throughout Scripture. And now God has come, and there's kind of a tie-in, you know, I think of Abraham. When God comes to Abraham, it's interesting, he has some dialogue, you get into chapter 12, then you get into chapter 15, but then when you get into chapter 17, then the Lord comes out and says, to Abraham, walk before me and be blameless. Do what I say. Keep my word. Do it. See, because that's the call of the gospel. A gospel doesn't have a calling of, oh, you just conceptually believe in Jesus and you live a life however you want to live. That's not what Balaam is being presented with. That's not what God presents to him right now. He says, listen to my word and do it. It's just such bizarre wording. It it catches you. Catches you off guard, actually. 21. So Balaam rose in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the princes of Moab. What just happened? We missed something. Let me put this back up here. Because just in verse 20, he said, if the men come and call you, rise and go with them. But in verse 21, oh, he just rose up in the morning. He gets up. He goes about his merry way. Something happened between 20 and 21. Something happened in the night. Oh, (laughs) this is huge. It's the old proverbial, I hear what I want to hear, and I believe what I want to believe. Christians never do that. (laughs) Think about this. The devil has made an offer that is virtually irresistible, that is looming in the background. The spirit is warring against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit. This offer is looming in the background, and yet the voice of the Lord has commissioned him, listen to my word and do it. And there's a war. And somehow throughout this night, he's being compelled to go, well, you know what? God did say, you know what? If the men come call me, you know, I I can go with them. Maybe God is blessing my way. Maybe God wants me to go. I mean, who knows? I mean, we weren't there, but you can get there between 20 and 21. You know, something to this degree happened. He was in warfare. All you need to do is be a human being and come into the faith. And you know, you're hit with warfare. You're hit with trials and tribulations and temptations. And Balaam is no different. No different. He's hit with this. And I I think of Psalm 56. David says something interesting. He says, all day long they twist my words. If I had a nickel for every time, over, over 20 years, over the last 20 years that I have counseled people, if I had a nickel for every time 
where someone came to me and said, tried to justify what they were going to do in their life through the word, and yet having to come in and say, that's not exactly what the word is saying. It happens all the time. It's unbelievable. And this is happening right now with Balaam. How does God react to this? Hearing what you want to hear, believing what you want to believe. Then God's anger was aroused because he went. Because he wasn't listening. He did not obey. And the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way, oh, as an adversary against him. As an adversary. If we could just grab this portion and every time temptation comes knocking at our door, if we could retain the reality that if I'm going to rebel against God, I'm going to cast his commandments aside. I'm not going to do them. I've heard his word, but I'm not going to do it. If we could just realize that Yeshua is going to come and he's going to take his stand against you, that you are making the king who you profess your enemy. That might impact the way you make your decisions. That might give you the strength you need to overcome the temptations that you're certain to face. There's no question about it. Amen? And so, the last part, he says, and, and Balak, he was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. And so, we're going to try to jump over this real quick and summarize. Balaam gets on his donkey, his two servants are with him. It's interesting, the Targums actually uh, attempt to allude to the fact that this is Johnny's and Jambres, uh, the very ones that resisted Moses, according to the Apostle Paul, which is fascinating, going back to these magicians in Egypt. Uh, interesting thought, but don't be distracted by that. He's on his donkey, starts going. His donkey starts acting weird <laughs> in, in ways that it's never acted before. Three episodes happen. The first one, it, the donkey goes off the road, takes him into the middle of nowhere, and Balaam, his anger is aroused. He's angry that this has happened. Starts to beat his donkey. And the second episode happens where the donkey goes up against a rock and crushes Balaam's foot. He gets even angrier. Then this third event happens where the donkey just, it just drops down. And Balaam is absolutely losing his mind. He is so livid. All these things are happening. What he doesn't see is what the donkey sees. He doesn't see the angel of the Lord is now an adversary against him. Well, we're going to read verse 31. And the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way, look at this, with the sword drawn in his hand. Now, you got to love the irony here. The third event, the third episode that happens with Balaam, when the donkey drops down and Balaam absolutely goes ballistic, one of the things that he says to you, he goes, I wish I had a sword in my hand because I'd kill you right now. Isn't that interesting? Lord opens up his eyes, and what does he see? He sees the angel of the Lord with a sword drawn, ready to kill him. Tidbit of irony. Now, you, you think about one of the passages we quoted in this series was Psalm 11, 7-11. And it talks about the fact that God is angry with the wicked every day. If he does not turn back, if you're, and you're walking in your sin, if you do not turn back, he will sharpen his sword he will bend his bow and make it ready. In other words, he's preparing to take you out. Literally, we're seeing that verse come to life in the story of Balaam. He has not done what the Lord said, and now he's sharpening his sword. He's preparing to take him out. And again, I tell you, if we could just retain this imagery in our own life, and when we're deciding of whether to walk with the Lord and not walk with the Lord, man, it's much easier when you have eyes to see. Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. Oh, please, God. Open our eyes, right? Well, how does Balaam respond to this event of seeing the angel sword drawn in his hand? This is what we read. And he bowed his head and fell flat on his face. Now, no matter how you cut this, guess what this is? This is the position of worship. Prostrating. Reverential fear. This is exactly what you want to see. This is what you want to see. And we move on. 
Verse 32, and the angel of the Lord said to him, why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to stand against you. Why? Because your way is perverse before me. Oh, here we go again. Pay attention. Because the grace of God is being poured out. He is now the word, literally, the word of the Lord is coming and showing the air of his way. Clearly, this angel could have never opened his eyes, just took him out. He didn't. The angel doesn't do that. Instead, he tells them, you're walking in sin. You've done wrong. Now, I think about all those scriptures, right? Like Psalm 119, 105, thy word is a lamp unto thy feet and a light unto the path. And the light exposes the darkness. That's what God's word does. So Paul says in Romans 7, I would not have known sin except through the law. I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, thou shalt not covet. And like you think of Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting. It turns you, converting the soul, turns the soul back from sinning. And we literally see, that, and that's, that's the thing. When God's word goes out, when his law goes out, and it went out to Nineveh and said, you're all going to die because you're living in sin. It saved their life. The word of the Lord saved their life. A call to repentance. And I think, and there's so many other examples I could give you. Josiah, as he's king over Judah, right? What happens? Uh, Hilkiah finds the Torah. He gives it to Shaphan the scribe, and Shaphan the scribe, he comes into the presence of the king. First time the king hears the Torah, he hears it, and he tears his clothes. He's broken. He can't handle it, exposed all the sin. That's what it does. That is exactly what is happening here. Balaam's sin is being exposed through the word. Mercy of God is being poured out on him. Now, verse 33. The donkey said to me and turned aside. The donkey saw me and turned aside from me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, obviously the angel speaking to Balaam, surely I would also have killed you by now and let her live. In other words, mercy. You're only alive because of grace. Verse 34. And Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, get this, I have sinned. What did Dan pray? Before he, I came up here, it was a prayer. It's First John 1, 9. Whoever confesses his sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sin, to cleanse us from all righteousness. Every element of the gospel that you're looking for to complete the gospel is found in this story with Balaam, who calls upon the one true God, the Tetragrammaton, Yehovah Yahweh, who has had grace. He's had the experience of grace now multiple times who has had the word of the Lord speak into his life in conviction. And now, after that conviction, what does the Lord expect every Christian to do when the word exposes sin? This. You confess your sin. So he comes out, he confesses. I mean, this is the, this is the best remedy for us, period. When, when, it's, when it's tempered with humility and faith. When that happens, then watch out. But then he goes on and says this, for I did not know you stood in the way against me. I was blind to my sin, just like David. David was blind to us, and Nathan's talking. He's giving them this parable about this little lamb. And David's like, that guy should die. No clue that he's referring to himself. He condemned himself. And so Balaam's like, I didn't know you stood in the way against me. Isn't that just the case? Sin blinds us. Then he says this. This is incredible. Now, therefore, if it displeases you, I will turn back. What is our job as believers? What should be our concern? To please the Lord. What is Balaam exhibiting right? What is his only concern right now? Lord, if my way is not your way, and it displeases you. It makes you unhappy. I'm gone. I'm going this way. I mean, again, the gospel. When, when we enter into the gospel and we bow down and we confess Yeshua as Lord and we say, we're going to listen to you, we're going to follow you, we, we, we confess our sin and we agree, we commit. There's a commitment in this relationship. 
I'm not going to do the things that displease you. This is mind-blowing. It makes me think of Isaiah 56. I didn't put this up here, but I want to read this. In Isaiah 56, it says, Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness, for my salvation, my Yeshua, is about to come. My righteousness to be revealed. It's literally a prophecy. The Messiah Yeshua is coming. Prepare yourselves. Now, here's the deal. Isaiah 56 is, is geared towards Gentiles. This is important because Balaam's what? He's a Gentile. He said, blessed is the man who does this and the son of man who lays hold on it, who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Then he says this, do not let the son of the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, the Lord has utterly separated me from his people. You Gentiles, don't say that. Because the ones that, when you keep his Sabbath, when you keep his covenant, you hold fast his covenant. This is interesting. This is what it goes on to say. And choose what pleases me. Now, that statement is made in correlation specifically with those Gentiles who keep the Sabbath and hold fast to his covenant. They choose what pleases me. This is interesting to me. It fascinates me. Because this is what we're called to. We need to have, I mean, right now, it terrifies me that I can talk to Christians. They don't even have the heart of Balaam. They're not worried about pleasing the Lord. Even Balaam, a a man who was a wicked pagan sorcerer who found a greater power. He's humbling himself before the Lord and says, I'm not doing anything that doesn't please you. I want to find out what pleases you. This is one of the things I wrestles with. And that's why this story is so critical for us today. It's so critical for the church on so many levels because the parallel is frightening where you have a Gentile who is coming out of Gentilism, out of paganism as all Gentiles do. When they come into the true knowledge of the God of Israel, they commit themselves, they experience real grace of God, they confess sin and they confess, I'm gonna commit the story is going to get way crazier as we continue. We're not going to continue today. We're going to end here for today, but we'll, we'll, we'll delve into this further next week, and it, it, gets, it, gets more, it, it gets more terrifying as we go. So with that said, I'm going to close in prayer.